The following podcast contains explicit language. It's the early morning of Thursday, October 20th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. This is debate number three, Rapid Response. Donald Trump is a large-headed, orange-hued man with immovable hair who has thrown in with the conspiracy-oriented website Breitbart. He has called past beauty pageant winners Miss Piggy, and we know he has the tendency to engage in I know you are, but what am I-ism. Based on this, information, a truly advanced algorithm, should have predicted that this charge would have inevitably been leveled by him in this debate. No puppet, no puppet. It's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear you won't admit no, you're that the, the Russians have engaged. This Punch and Judy show offered more moments that further define democracy down. This was one. He has consistently denied what is Wrong. a very clear fact that Wrong. before the invasion, he supported it. Dozens of sources which verify that he was for the invasion of Iraq. Wrong. And- Actually, that's kind of a motif. So if that was the good. This part was the bad. We have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. And let's not forget this bit of ugliness. Such a nasty one. At this point in the electoral process, on this last debate stage, on the cusp of the casting of ballots for the office of the presidency, it strikes me that the use of such phrases as electoral process and office of the presidency elevates Trump in a way he does not deserve. I had thought that automatically winning the primary should automatically confer deference and regard upon a candidate. But Trump stands athwart all norms of institution and regard. Putting aside whether he deserves the deference due to a major party candidate, the case can also be made that he doesn't even want it. Perhaps all he wanted this whole time was his long-denied Emmy Award. Should have gotten it. We thought he might be Benito Mussolini. Turns out he's closer to Susan Lucci. After the debate, I asked Jennifer Palmieri, director of communications for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign, if she could fathom such an outburst. Turns out she could. Yes, because he always engages on the last thing that comes out of your mouth. I think you saw how we prepped for that. Interesting. And let's remember that insight when we think about this other moment, when debate moderator Chris Wallace asked about a WikiLeaks revelation that Clinton dreamt of a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. She answered, If you went on to read the rest of the sentence, I was talking about uh, energy. Indeed she was. And then she turned and pointed out that the WikiLeaks dumps are all the fruit of Russian hackers. Now, Trump, remember, he can't help but respond to the last thing he heard. So here was his response. That was a great pivot off the fact that she wants open borders. Okay. Aha. So you suspect this might be the exception to his tendency. He called out the pivot to Putin as a ploy. He knows what's going on. He's not going to get sucked in. So what did he do? He talked about borders for 26 seconds. And then, of course, he talked about Putin for more than twice that time, ending with, Look, Putin, from everything I see, has no respect for this person. Donald Trump did not have a good debate. He did not turn things around or stop the bleeding or turn a corner or exceed expectations. It's silly. In fact, it's an insult to engage in this theater criticism so endemic in politics. And if you look back on all the pronouncements after the second debate or after the vice presidential debate of expectation exceeding, what really happened, empirically speaking, was just deeper hole digging. So I'm not going to insult you 
by telling you that you didn't see what you saw. And what you saw was, yes, an incoherent man who holds some irresponsible ideas. In fact, at this point, I think it's best to veer away from the horse race aspect of coverage, not because horse race is the enemy of policy coverage, but because if this were a horse race, one entrant is clearly pulled up lame. Secretariat has opened an insurmountable lead and a discouraged sham has given up. No, that is exactly what happened in the 1973 Belmont. Secretariat's main rival was a horse named Sham. It came in last because it gave up. But let's put this debate aside in terms of contest. And let's come back to the idea of this election as disruption. But right now, let's just discuss some of the ideas put forward, some of the assertions made. Call me a masochist, call me a journalist, observe that those two categories often overlap, and let's engage in the documenting of some medium fibs, because the big lies will have been documented. A big lie is when Trump said he never disparaged one of his accusers as too unattractive to harass. Of course that happened. Or when Trump alleged that the State Department under Hillary Clinton lost $6 billion. Great point, so long as voters don't have access to Google or Twitter or factcheck.org. He's on solid ground. Let's talk about the little more annoying lies. So Trump constantly talks about our country's economic growth is 1%. Our country is dying at 1% GDP. It's actually slightly higher than 2%. 2% ain't great, but it's better than almost all of Europe and Japan. Donald Trump goes on about NATO. They have to pay up. We're protecting people. They have to pay up. And I'm a big fan of NATO, but they have to pay up. In fact, there's no member of NATO that doesn't pay dues. What many members of NATO fail to do is achieve the organization's threshold of 2% of their budgets going to military spending. The USA leads the way with over 3% of our budget going to the military. And in second place is Greece. They are a budgetary exemplar on this front. By the way, why am I not playing Hillary's mistakes and vetting them? She did not say anything that PolitiFact rated as false, mostly false, or worse than that. But in this debate, PolitiFact rated 13 of Trump's statements as false, including the $6 billion State Department loss that they said was pants on fire. One last debate point that PolitiFact didn't even get to was the partial birth abortion ban. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. And that's not acceptable. No abortions are done in the final day. I looked very hard and I could not find any documentation that abortions, actual abortions, take place in the ninth month. But after the debate, Rudy Giuliani cited this exchange, saying that Hillary supports a law that allows abortion in the ninth month, and this practice should be illegal. So I said to him, but that's not an actual practice. The idea of killing a baby is frightening. What is the difference between the child two days before it comes out of the That never happens, does it? That never happens. Hasn't he changed his position on abortion? Well... It should never happen because it should never be allowed to happen. But it doesn't happen. No one, no viable babies two days before birth are aborted. Now, at this point, a reporter from the conservative magazine, The Weekly Standard, thought it was a good idea to yell at me, to tell me I was wrong, that babies are aborted before their due date. Thank you, fellow journalists. Again, no babies are aborted in the ninth month. And Rudy picked up the thread from there. Here is the point. The law is not about what might happen or might not happen. The law is about what is allowed or not. Okay, so that is an example of the spin room kind of doing its job. A surrogate makes an argument, 
The point of the law is to ban what could happen. Maybe some voters will find that compelling. But after this debate, and after all these debates, I found that the spin room served another purpose. But you had to know how to read the spin room. It was a real-time example of Trump turning Republicans into a party shot through with contradiction. The candidate says, I will keep you in suspense as to my accepting of the results of the election. But his spokesperson, Katrina Pearson, says, oh, now, that's only if the election is extremely tight. Well, I don't think Mr. Trump or anyone else really should concede an election before it occurs. Not concede, but accept the result, regardless but, of what it but, is. But then you're asking, you know, what does that look like? If there is an election in a county that, that changes the fate of an entire state, like Pennsylvania, do you accept the election if there's a 20-vote difference? Absolutely not. You would contest that. But who wouldn't contest that? And that isn't what Trump said. And that's not what we're talking about. But Pearson assured me, don't worry, he'll behave. Barring the 20 vote scenario, do you think it's likely that he will give a concession speech should he lose on election night? Oh, if he loses, absolutely. Dr. Ben Carson and his handlers were even less happy to engage on this issue. So what do you think he means when he says he won't concede if he's beaten? He, didn't, he, he said that he would evaluate it at the time. That's all How close would it have to be, do you think? Don't know. He said he How would, close would it have to be for it to be evaluated? He said he would evaluate it at the time. Everybody keeps asking the same question. We have enough right. of that question, okay? David, right. we're going to David I'll ask it different. No, no. Do you yeah, think it's likely he'll give a concession David. speech on election night if he loses? Okay. Hey, Carson, David. Right here. No, no, brother. This is over for you. No more questions. The best, though, was RNC Communications Director Sean Spicer, who said of Trump, We will accept the, the results of the, the, uh, of the voters. But why does he... St- I, I can't... I, don't ask me why he... I mean, I'm, I'm giving... I'm answering the question. But the RNC is... No, my question was, why is he not saying he'll accept the results? I don't know. You can ask him that question. Kellyanne Conway says this a lot, too. You'll have to ask the candidate. So let me ask you... I asked Sean Spicer, what is the point of sending out surrogates and even sending out a vice president who's going to assure the public that this is what Trump means if Trump goes on to say something contradictory? Spicer did not answer. He turned to leave. I followed him and asked my question again. I have to admit, the tip of my shoe made contact with the heel of his shoe. Don't touch me, Spicer hissed. And with that, the Trump surrogate left the arena. That's it for today's show. It was produced by Mary Wilson. Just producer Chris Berube listened from home, and I hope you liked it. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network, and Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. We will be back with a full show tomorrow morning. Listen for that. Umpru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>